Welcome to Liz Collin Reports. On the podcast, a Minnesota lawmaker making moves at the state capitol to put crime victims first. Representative Walter Hudson, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Liz. It's a pleasure to be here. I really do appreciate you so much joining me on this topic. You're a first-time legislator representing the area around St. Michael, Albertville, but you were struck recently by an Alpha News report regarding the Ford family, the parents of Dalton Ford. Tragically, Dalton and his longtime girlfriend, Taylor Garza, died on Easter Sunday uh, back in 2021 in Burnsville. And then we know now a brother and sister drag racing. They were responsible for the crash that killed them both. But I wanted to give our audience a, a bit of the background here because Leon Bond was 80 days shy of his 18th birthday, never certified as an adult in this case. Just just start there with your reaction uh, to that story. Well, I think my reaction is the same as any rational, normal human beings, which is how does this happen? How, how do you have a system that refuses? And especially the more you learn about it, the more details you learn about the background of the perpetrator uh, and you know, the history and circumstances. And the I believe the legal term is depravity of mind required to not only do what they did, but then react in the way they reacted to it in the immediate aftermath as their victims were expiring um, on the road, the shock that our system could look at all of that and be lenient in any way. And one part of the case we pointed out in that in that report was the fact that Leon Bond's very serious uh, behavior in high school was basically withheld from the panel that passes their recommendation uh, for or against adult certification to the judge. I know that it troubled you as well, and you were, were so troubled by this. In fact, you wanted to meet with the Ford family, which you which you've done recently. Also, Taylor's parents, I understand too. But just talk about talk about that meeting and, and what came of it. Yeah, it was yesterday. In fact, we met right here in my office, and it was it, it's something to experience to read a story like that, as horrible as it is, and then meet the people who are, who are actually most directly affected by it—the parents of the victims. And it was them telling their story. And as you well know, they know how to tell it. And they've done the research and they've done their homework. And they understand how justice has been denied to them and their the rest of their family uh, in the ways that you have already hit upon. Uh, the denial of information to those who are making the decision to either sentence as, a, uh, as an adult or as a juvenile and ultimately deciding that they weren't going to do so. What changes would you like to see? And, and realistically, especially this session, uh, what can be done uh, to change the, the juvenile system in Minnesota? Well, I do sit on the Public Safety Committee, so there's a possibility that I could have some bills heard. And I certainly came away from my meeting um, with the Fords and, and, and the Garzas with a sense uh, of a number of things that could be done. And I haven't fully developed all these ideas yet, but kind of some top level um, responses is I think we need to rethink the concept of juvenile privacy. So we kind of have this blanket assumption in data practices and government that anything involving a juvenile should be confidential to a fault. And this is an example where you have relevant information about the history of a perpetrator that you are not going to include in your consideration uh, of a sentencing decision because he's a juvenile, because it's happened before, you're trying to protect him in some way or another. Um, I think we need to lift the veil 
under specific circumstances. And, you know, we'll rattle around and figure what those specific circumstances are. But off the top of my head, I would say if you commit a violent crime or if you're engaged in a property crime uh, involving an asset over a thousand dollars or whatever number we come up with, your juvenile record should be wide open at that point. And we should be able to use that information going forward for a period of time. Let's say you make a mistake when you're 13. All right, well, we're going to open up your record for a year. And then uh, if you can get through a year without some follow-up criminal activity, then we'll close the veil again on your record until you turn 18. And then after you turn 18, as an adult, you know, another problem is that the, the juvenile records are not impacting sentencing as much as they should when it comes to crimes committed as an adult. And so I think we need to strengthen the continuity of the criminal record and, and how much it's weighed in the sentencing process between being a juvenile and being an adult. And perhaps one way to do that would be to say, okay, your juvenile record is sealed uh, until the first time you commit a violent crime. And at that point, it's wide open and you're accountable for all of it. I think those are some pretty common sense things we can do. And there's other ideas we have as well. And Veronica Ford pointed out that this seven member extended juvenile jurisdiction panel, this EJJ panel, it's not really a statewide scenario. Each county may have its own way of certifying a a juvenile into adult court. Do you see some wiggle room there? Should this be a a uniform system? Yeah, so I struggle with that a little bit, Uh, you know, as a conservative, as a, a local government, local control guy. The idea of top-down mandates um, is something that I generally shy away from. But in this case, the need might be there because there, there's such a vast disparity and we don't know what the best practices are. And they certainly aren't being implemented across the board in every county in the state of Minnesota. So that is something that we should probably look at. I, mean, I, I think the average person should be able to know with some degree of predictability what the standards are for how a uh, perpetrator ought to be sentenced, either as a juvenile or as an adult. And Representative Hudson, in the broad sense, uh, your thoughts on public safety um, at the Capitol. Frankly, some of the things being talked about in St. Paul, I think, have many of us thinking we live on Mars uh, and not yeah. not in Minnesota. But I know you recently signed your, your first bill as, as chief author. Explain that. Yeah, so I signed a bill um, that would take existing language in state law regarding sentencing and change more than one word, but basically one word. It should strike out the word uh, may and replace it with the word shall. And it's in when it comes to sentencing offenders upon their third violent felony conviction. Okay, so we're not talking about somebody who made a mistake, who shoplifted, you know, who got into some trouble, but they're otherwise a nice guy. We're talking about third violent felony conviction. And current law allows this wiggle room where the judge may decide whether or not they're going to toss the book at him, for lack of a better term. Um, this would compel them to say you're going to do that. And it would also make the their sentences consecutive. So as I understand it, uh, you know, if you've got multiple sentences for multiple charges and they all call for, let's say, 10 years, you got three of them, you're going to be in there for 30 years. 
Leon Bond will be sentenced on Monday, just just back to, to this case. And he may only serve another year, year and a half in custody for this horrific crime. The Fords now know uh, that he's participating in things like yoga, uh, Bible study, first aid, anger management. And, you know, they're saying, you know, he's doing this. Well, basically uh, getting away with with murder um, in their minds. Is there anything you can do to, to change or, or step in when, with what happened in, in this case? Well, it, as the legislature, with the separation of powers, we don't have the ability to directly intervene in the education of, of uh, judicial cases. However, we can change how things proceed going forward with other cases in the future. And that, that's what I one of the things I really appreciate about the Fords and their activism is that, yes, they're thinking about justice for their son and his girlfriend, but they're also thinking about preventing this from ever happening to anyone again in Minnesota, um, or, or certainly providing for the means to ensure justice is served in the event that something like this happens. And so one thing we can do and we will be doing uh, as a office here is attempting to prompt, put pressure upon prod the Dakota County authorities to actually respond to the data requests uh, that Veronica Ford has placed in that have thus far gone, gone unanswered and unfulfilled. I know uh, the Fords are, are grateful for your work, and we all are as well. Representative Walter Hudson, thank you so much for your time and for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time. <laughs>